the New Money Review podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. I'm Paul Amory, the editor of New Money Review. We're a periodical covering the changes in money, which are getting faster and more confusing. New types of money arrive out of nowhere, like Bitcoin. Payments get faster and cheaper. Cash goes out of fashion and mobile payments take over. Some people are on the inside track, others risk being left behind. Money attracts the cleverest criminals who always seem to stay ahead of the game. Our podcast takes a big picture look at these trends. It's not just money that's changing, but technology, finance, law, government and society with it. Each week we interview a leading expert on one or more of these topics. By listening to the podcast, you can stay up to date with what's going on in money and prepare yourself for what lies ahead. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Alexi Grimm, who's head of digitalization at the Bank of Finland, Finland's central bank. Okay, Alexi, welcome to the New Money Review podcast. Thanks very much for joining us. Could you start by telling listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Uh, yes, of course. So it's nice to be here. Um, my name is Alexi Grimm. I work at the Central Bank of Finland, the Bank of Finland, part of the Euro system. Um, I work as my my title is head of digitalization, um, and I've had this position for about four years. And it's um, it's a position where I look at basically everything related to fintech. Um, so fintech started emerging four or five years ago, and the central bank wanted to look at different topics. Um, it was very broad in the beginning, and the last couple of years have very much focused on digital currencies, payment systems, um, central bank digital currencies, and so on. So I think it, it's kind of narrowed down a bit. Okay, thanks for explaining that. What has prompted the, the increasing focus on central bank digital currency? I mean, it's a good question to ask, you know, why are we discussing central bank digital currencies? I, I don't know. It kind of just it just emerged from somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I think a few years ago, central banks were, were looking at things on a much broader spectrum. Um, uh, like crowdfunding was, was a big emerging thing. Um, high frequency trading, uh, AI, different things that, that emerge in the financial sector. And maybe maybe some of those other things didn't become quite as big as, as it seemed at first. And the one thing that became really big was payments. Um, so you had these new payment apps, payment companies come into the market and they, they grew really big like you know, Alipay, Revolut and TransferWise and so on. Um, and I guess as part of that whole payment um, topic, then um, central banks also started to look at uh, you know, whether they should provide some sort of new new type of service. Right. So presumably the emergence of, of, of Bitcoin over the last decade and more recently the plans by Facebook to launch its own digital currency, Libra, have had, a, have had an impact on central banks in kind of pushing them along in this direction and making them focus on this as a kind of you know, an imminent project rather than something theoretical. Yeah, I, I guess I guess so. Yeah, I guess those developments also had 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 a bit of you know a bit to do with that. Um, you know, if a big tech company like Facebook um, was looking into you know digital currencies, I guess you know central banks became aware of that, and then it probably accelerated um, their work. Right. Now, I understand the Bank of Finland, Finland has a, a very long history uh, in the area of electronic money. Could you tell us a bit, a bit about what uh, your central bank has done in the past and why it's relevant for today? 
Yeah, so so the Bank of Finland actually launched a um, electronic payment uh, instruments similar to you know CBDC. The word didn't exist at the time, but but e-money did exist. So, and there was a lot of talk about electronic money. Of course, the whole regulatory framework emerged 25 years ago, um, as well as many companies like PayPal, for example, was founded back then, and that was based on the concept of electronic money. And it has, you know, it has very, it's it's very similar to when we discuss, um, you know, what's happening today. And I guess the Bank of Finland was the only central bank that actually went ahead and actually developed and launched an e-money uh, payment instrument, which was a smart card uh, at the time. You know, you didn't have mobile phones, of course, uh, and it was around for a bit over ten years, um, but it never grew big enough to to stay on the market. So why was the central why was the central bank of Finland so far ahead in this in you know thinking about this potential uh, future technology? Um, well, well, tech has always been a sort of big big thing in in Finland. I guess the Nordics in general. Um, you know, we've had tech companies for decades, um, and uh, you, you know, you, you had PayPal coming up. You had you had these topics, the you know, internet companies. Uh, that was, this was the time of the first sort of internet boom. Um, so, so I guess yeah. I mean, using all that knowledge. Um, the Bank of Finland was cooperating with with universities and then some of the tech companies in the uh, in the country. So, just kind of went on from an idea to to implementation. Right, right. But it's also the, uh, the case, isn't it, that um, the Nordic countries, Finland and, and Sweden and other uh, maybe other areas of Northern Europe, have are quite far ahead in replacing banknotes and, and cash by uh, digital payment instruments. So that's a that's a kind of region wide trend. And uh, so I guess that's that's part of the story. Definitely yes. So, so definitely Nordic, the Nordic countries have, you know, uh, maybe you know, quite far ahead in, in in becoming more more cashless. I mean, the, they'll probably never become fully cashless, but definitely most payments today, in Finland, more than ninety percent um, at point of sale are done using cards or mobile payments. So, no one really uses cash anymore. Um, well, few people use cash anymore. And that's definitely part of the story. But it, you know, the, the payment services have been provided by by commercial providers so far, and a central bank, uh, you know, it would be a different thing if a central bank offered the same services. Right. So, what are what are your current plans at the the Bank of Finland are in terms of, you know, the, the role of the cent of the the state in supplying the payment instrument or the role of the private sector? Where's the, what what kind of balance are you looking to strike there? Well, that's that's the big question when we talk about CBDC. I mean, it's not clear at the moment that there is any case for um, a public version of of electronic payments or digital payment instruments. I mean, commercial providers are doing you know a good enough job at the moment, um, and it would be a big change in the market if if there was a sort of public version or, or central bank version of of those services. Um, and, and it's it's wide open. The question is wide open, and I think that's the key question to to explore at the moment for central banks. Right. Uh, the Bank of International Settlements released some charts and figures earlier this week, um, showing what I found some interesting trends in the use of cash worldwide. Uh, they, they they pointed out that in some countries like Sweden, cash has almost disappeared. It's now one percent of GDP. But over the last decade, in certain other countries like Japan, Singapore, uh, sorry, Hong Kong, and um, uh, what was the other one? Uh, come, come back to me. But they, they're, in those countries, in Switzerland, uh, the you know, the use of cash has actually gone up over the last. You know, people have been hoarding banknotes, I guess, because of negative interest rates. You know, it, it seems 
a very diverse picture country by country around the world. You know, is there any way we can you know, talk about general trends in, in the emergence of central bank digital currency, or is it, is it going to be, um, or maybe, you know, region specific or country specific uh, before we can kind of arrive at something concrete? Yeah, I mean, it's it's super interesting because the devil is really in the detail. If you look at the demand for cash worldwide, the trend really is that it's increasing and it's increasing quite fast. Yeah. So there's more and more cash around. That surprisingly, that is actually the trend. But okay. it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like that on a daily basis. If you go, you know, shopping or something like that, you don't really use yeah. cash, and people don't touch cash on a daily basis anymore. So. It is a bit of a paradox in that sense. So this is presumably the people people taking large denomination banknotes and, and using them for savings purposes. Well, if we look at the eurozone, it's every denomination that's increasing. Right. Which is really surprising, but that that is that is the statistic, and yet people use it less and less at point of sale when they when they buy stuff. Um, so it's it's going somewhere. Maybe it's maybe people are saving. Uh, using cash. Yeah. yeah, because I mean, my impression from being in the UK is that uh, certainly in my life and my family's life over the course of this year with the coronavirus pandemic, we've basically stopped using cash. We very rarely touch it. We pay for everything using a card or a mobile phone app. And I guess we can maybe make the wrong assumption that these trends are happening elsewhere. So it's, 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 a, it's not a, it's, there's, there are no you know, clear trends then in that sense. Yeah, and maybe people easily forget that cash has many purposes. I mean, payments, everyday payments, is one of them, but um, it's also it's also an asset, like a, a very safe asset. And maybe people want to save using it. Maybe you know, save for the rainy day or something like that. Yeah, um, one one of the trends I've uh, noticed over the last decade or two, you know, payments within domestic payment areas in individual countries or in the eurozone have been getting you know, much faster, much cheaper for the average um, consumer, but there's a lot of stickiness still in, in resolving the, 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 the costs of or getting the costs down for cross-border payments. And that's been a, a, a you know a, a topic that policymakers have been talking about very, very regularly. What, what do you think are the key challenges in, in getting cross-border payments to be as seamless and cheap and fast as they as they are domestically? I mean, it's it's also it's the costs are declining. I mean, it is it is so trend wise declining. It's still expensive to send money overseas, you know, to another country or across currency zones. But it is sort of declining. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for those costs. Many of them have nothing to do with technology. They're more related to, you know, AML checks and you know safety and security and regulation and and so on. Um, I mean, competition always helps generally speaking, um, to, to reduce cost. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's just a sort of stepwise, you know, baby step approach to, to, to get those costs down. I, I, I'm not expecting any sort of big bang innovation that's going to, um, make all those costs, uh, you know, disappear. I think it's just, you know, it will take some time and it will, will be very gradual. Yeah. So, so looking forward into, um, you know, so getting towards the end of 2020, and looking forward into next year, when it comes to payments, digitalization of money, what are the key trends we should be keeping an eye on? Well, I think the I mean, probably the biggest biggest topic is the involvement of the very large tech companies, uh, the global uh, you know, tech players. 
in this space. I mean, they have been launching new services, uh, providing your wallets, and you, know, you, have, you have Apple Pay and you have uh, Google Pay and so on and Alipay. I think these are the companies to, to you know that I'm, I'm keeping an eye on. Um, so I, I really want to understand the developments there. They are just simply so big as as companies in general that you know if they if they uh, get more involved in the payment space, then that that's going to have an impact on the on the on the industry. And of course, I think the other question then is is the is CBDC and you know central banks have now put a lot of time and effort into looking into that topic. It's still you know research for the most part, but um, I think I think they're really keen to you know come up with an answer whether the whether they should pursue CBDC or not. Right. But Facebook, um, to take an example of a big tech firm that's been trying to get into, into payments, has been, you know, by, it seems it's been forced to, you know, heavily downgrade its ambitions from this idea, of, you know, it, it spoke about in the middle of last year to have a kind of a single global medium of exchange called Libra. And then they had to downgrade that to having uh, individual versions of Libra in, in, um, in national currencies. And now they're talking really about just developing the payment um, aspects of, of messaging services like WhatsApp. Do you think? Do you think they they got it wrong? I mean, do they do they do they approach central banks and regulators in the wrong way, or or what, you know what can we learn from that episode, which I guess is still unfolding. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, Facebook has had many different projects related to payments, and Libra was just one of them. So if we talk about Facebook and payments, I think you know they're looking for the best solution that will you know complement and support their core business. And that's been going on for a long time, and they're looking at many different things. One of them has been Libra. Um, I think Libra definitely was a really strange, <laughs> strange thing, and I'm not expecting it to recover anymore. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think Libra got a lot of things wrong. Um, it got off on the wrong foot with regulators as yeah. well, definitely. Um, but I, I I don't see it as uh, you know Facebook I, th I think is still going to come up with some innovative payment, payment solutions regardless of Libra. Okay, and what about Google and Apple? What do you make of their um, initiatives and their you know the apps they've been developing to make payments more seamless and you know, to keep you within their systems as it were? Yeah, I mean I think they're all all key play key players, especially Google and Apple, who um, control the operating systems of mobile devices. Um, so they have a very strong position because a lot of the security uh, related to payments using mobile phones um, has to do with the operating system. And a lot of the security features are actually in inside the operating system. So that's why I think Google and Apple are really important in that, that respect. Um, one big trend that's also still ongoing is that commerce is moving online and to mobile. And it's it's only, uh, I mean, we're, we're only at the beginning of that journey, really. Um, I mean, people are still mostly buying from you know, uh, your brick and mortar stores, but, you know, more and more commerce is, is going moving online. And of course, the, the big tech companies are going to have an increasingly important role in, in also managing the payments of that space. You know, Amazon becomes really, really important in that respect. Yes. So we're going to be, we're all of us going to be increasingly buying uh, goods and services from within the um, websites or apps of these particular companies. Yes. And operating systems like the, the devices, you know, mobile yeah. phones and, and, and pads and so on. What 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 could, what could, should you make of what's going on in China? Because um, China obviously has uh, it's it's very advanced in 
digitalization of payments with Alipay and WeChat Pay. Um, Alibaba's been just been forced to um, suspend the listing of Ant Group, which was due to be the world's largest uh, initial public offering. You know, within the last week, that's that's happened. Um, I understand from reading some press articles that regulators may have been a bit concerned or have been concerned in the past about some of these um, tech giants becoming you know, new shadow banks. Um, what's the general direction of policy there and what should we be keeping an eye on when it comes to China in particular? I th yeah, I think I think you, you got it pretty much right. And China is in, incredibly advanced in terms of you know a lot of, a lot of the innovation and, and sort of tech from you know in the payment space is coming from there. Uh, Alibaba as a group is very interesting to look at, and, and as well as you know Tencent, um, you know they, they they are involved in every aspect of of e-commerce and and, and dig digitalization really. Um, this sort of latest thing, I, 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 yeah, I think you're also right that you know, regulators have set up a regulatory framework in the last 10 years or so um, to you know, to manage risks related to you know, not only payments but finance in, in general, and and they don't really want to see uh, anyone falling outside the perimeters of that that regulatory framework. And if there's any sort of threat of that, you know, a very large company that is saying that no, this doesn't apply to us, then you know, I think it's quite to be expected that regulators will react because the regulation was designed, you know, to, to have every sort of contingency in mind. And, and you know, I, I, I don't think it's, um, you know, I, I don't think in, there has been any sort of innovation that would put any of these uh, new players outside of the, you know, they're not, they're not immune to, to the risks that the, yeah. this regulation is designed to mitigate. Yeah, but the, 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 um, the more regulators get involved in, in, in managing or look, you know, regulating, I suppose, uh, the plans of companies like Facebook or Alibaba's uh, you know, Ant Group. Um, what, to, to what extent does that increase the likelihood of some payments instrument emerging that is completely outside the current system? And whether it's Tether or something that's you know, really unregulated, it may, may even be the case of you know, the subject of lawsuits in, uh, in Tether's case. You know, could something really... Um, Escape central banks' grasp completely when it comes to payments. I think I think it's conceivable. Yes, I mean it's it's happened before. Um, I mean every now and then there are so-called financial innovations which um, kind of emerge somewhere on the fringes and escape you know, the regulation and they they tend to cause harm and you know it could of course happen again and that's why I think regulators are very sort of um, careful at the moment and you know. They want to look at every every new entrant in the market and, and see what they are about. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a that's something that obviously is being closely monitored. Although it's not clear how, in the case of something like Tether, you could stamp it out even if you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's what's sort of new in in. What's what's new now is that there there already is something that's outside the the whole regulatory framework and and of course I'm talking about Bitcoin. I mean, yeah. I think it's already there. Um, it's already doing the job of being sort of an alternative um, way to um, you know do a lot of the stuff that you can do using regulated you know payment networks and so on. Yeah. Um, you know there are some there are, there are some trade-offs for doing that. Um, but it's it's already there. Um, it's hard to see that um, you know when we talk about Tether or we talk about Libra, they're, they're all really just 
trying to do what Bitcoin already did, aren't they? I mean, I'm not seeing sort of that much new innovation in some of these uh, other versions of, of virtual currency or cryptocurrency. And yeah. I'm not convinced that they're doing much more than what Bitcoin is already doing. Right. And as you say, Bitcoin is there. It's been there for nearly 12 years now and it's still still growing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, that kind of brings me to the question of um, transaction uh, privacy, because I understand that's a, still a big design question when it comes to central bank digital currencies. Should should digital money have the same privacy attributes as, as cash? In other words, it's you know, not traceable by a central authority or should it be? Uh, not should it be traceable or should it be should there be some kind of system where you are you know you have anonymity up to a certain transaction amounts or and not above a certain transaction amount you know where do you stand in that in that debate i mean i i personally think that that would be one of the most important features of of a cbdc would be to offer a certain degree of privacy that that you couldn't necessarily get somewhere else. Um, it has been a feature of, of cash and it is really important to people that you can make payments um, with a certain degree of privacy. And I'm, I'm very, very careful with my words here. I'm not saying that all payments should be completely anonymous or you, yeah. you should be able to make you know, private payments. But but, but I think uh, the, risk the risks associated with a commercial provider um, are, are high in terms of you know loss of privacy or any sort of you know um, you know privacy related risks that I think there's a there might be a there might be a place for a public provider to provide a payment instrument which has a better degree of privacy for for individuals. So the state could end up being the the, the the protector or the defender of the consumer when it comes to privacy, which is something that I guess a lot of people would not. Um, necessarily accept, or at least in certain countries. Yeah, the thinking is very different. If you if you go to you know, Asia, you go to Europe, you go to the US, and people think about these things in very different ways. But I think I think in Europe, um, in my experience, um, you know, people tend to trust uh, state providers or public providers, you know, quite quite reasonably well yeah. in, in these things. And um, and that would be, I think, privacy would be one of the sort of features that there might be a gap in the market at the moment that you're not really sure what sort of data is being collected when you when you interact with with you know all sorts of apps and so on. And you know, central banks have been the ones who have been providing a uh, payment instrument with a very high degree of privacy, which is cash. And but it's not working online. It's not a digital payment instrument. So I think. If a central bank would go ahead and you know, provide this kind of digital payment instrument, then privacy would be one of one of the important features of that instrument. Right, and some and certainly some central banks have been saying that, haven't they? The Fed has been saying that they, or at least last year, the um, Federal Reserve uh, governor said that they what they wanted to um, retain uh, privacy in digital currency transactions, as I understand it. Yeah, because otherwise it's really hard to sort of think you know, what would be the benefit of a of a CBDC compared to everything that's already on the market. There's very few things that um, that a central bank could add add sort of to the you know bring to the table, so to speak. And I think privacy is one of them. Uh, safety could be one, uh, another thing. You know, a central bank could never go bankrupt. You 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 could be sure that your assets are completely safe if they're in a central bank wallet. But the other thing then I think is sort of protecting privacy. 
Well, so um, so what do you make then of the latest, uh, there was a paper from the European Central Bank, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, where they, I think, said that there's no, there should be no assumption of transaction anonymity when it comes to digital currency. Yeah, no assumption. Um... I mean, it's it's about striking a balance. So that's why I've I've been careful with my words as well. I mean, um, you you can you probably can't have complete anonymity, but um, you have to find a balance where uh, it's not helping criminals to to you know launder money and so on. But at the same time, it it, it would provide enough privacy for for uh, anyone sort of private individuals. And uh, Alexi, what what do you think, if anything, can be done to reduce the the you know incredibly complex uh, complex and confusing terminology that surrounds a lot of these questions. You know we have CBDC, we have digital money, we have e-money, we have crypto assets, stable coins. There's, these things are not very very clearly defined. They're usually overlapping cryptocurrency, crypto assets. You know, is there anything we can do to to kind of lift some of the fog? Oh, I I would I would ask you or anyone the same <laughs> question. I, 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 I wish it was more sort of we had we had fewer words. It seems that everyone tends to come up with their own terminology for the same things, yeah. and then when you start digging deeper, you find you find out that these are actually the, you know, we're talking about pretty much the same things all over again. It's it's fun to read some you know newspaper articles. I, I read a couple of articles from the Economist from you know, 20 years ago about electronic money, and you could you could basically reprint the, the article and just change electronic money or digital <laughs> currency and would be completely readable, completely understandable in, in today's context. Right. So maybe we'll all go back to calling it money at some point, which will be a kind of a, a sign that everything has succeeded. Money, yeah, and, and payments. Yeah. I mean, it's all payments in, in the end, yeah. Yeah. Alexi, thank you very much for taking the time to chat. It's been a very uh, interesting conversation and I look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the New Money Review podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. You can find a write-up of this episode at our website, newmoneyreview.com, together with links to any important documents or sites mentioned during the discussion. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please like it, share it, or tell a friend about it. At our website, newmoneyreview.com, you can also sign up to our newsletter, which will keep you informed of all New Money Review articles and podcasts. If you'd like to support New Money Review, you can do so via Patreon or using cryptocurrency. Details of how to do this are on the homepage of our website.